What's up, Midas Mighty, and welcome to the Midas Touch Podcast. We've got a very special bonus edition of the show today, and it's not just special because it's being hosted by Brett, your favorite Midas brother. No, my brothers and I conducted an exclusive interview with Ukrainian Member of Parliament Dmitro Girin. Dmitro is currently in Ukraine. We are not disclosing his exact location for operations security reasons, but we had a very powerful, emotional conversation with him about what is happening on the ground as Russia continues their illegal invasion. Sure, it's great to chat with analysts and talking heads, but there's nothing like speaking directly to a Ukrainian member of parliament to hear his thoughts, his needs, and truly understand his strength and his struggle. We've had numerous chats in recent weeks with incredible people who don't get nearly enough attention in the mainstream media, and we'll be releasing many more bonus episodes from here on out, exclusive to our audio listeners. If you love the Midas Touch podcast, make sure to tell a friend about it today, or tell two or three or four or five, and remember to leave us a five-star review. Without further ado, here's our interview with Ukrainian Member of Parliament, Dmitry Girin. We are joined by Dmitro Guren, member of parliament of Ukraine in the Kyiv majority district. Dmitro, welcome to the podcast. Hi, guys. Dmitro is currently in Ukraine. Uh, we will not be disclosing the location. We so appreciate you taking the time uh, to speak with us, to speak with our audience. We're uh, over a month into the unlawful invasion by the Russians of Ukraine. We've seen um, atrocity after atrocity committed by the Russians. You're on the ground. Um, what observations do you have uh, over a month into this unlawful invasion? Let's uh, talk at first about general frame. Uh, when this war started, 24th of February, it started as a conventional war, army against army, and uh, in a week, uh, Russia understood they cannot beat us uh, on the battlefield. And uh, all the world have seen that it's not a second uh, powerful army in the world. It's just a fake. Uh, and uh, that their army is demotivated and they don't have uh, real uh, experience. Uh, only like uh, this uh, Wagner uh, private uh, military company have uh, some real experience. But not in in Russian army in general. So they changed the strategy and uh, uh, they understood we will will not meet them with flowers as they uh, waited. Uh, And uh, they decided to uh, use Syrian strategy and started just to kill civilians. So the first week uh, we had a war and now we have mass murdering. Uh, You know, the the most uh, famous example is Mariupol. Uh, it's uh, the half million people city uh, near Zopsi. And uh, now it's a place of humanitarian catastrophe. Uh, there are 160,000 people that are still there without any communications, uh, without heating, gas, electricity, and uh, the most important without food and uh, medicine and drinking water. And uh, like everything around the city is mined, heavily, heavily mined, all the roads, fields, everything. And uh, uh, Russian troops, they have ordered to kill everybody trying to escape, I mean civilians. And they just destroying the city, bombing all the time, artillery works all the time. They drop like 100 bombs 
per uh, per day for 24 hours every day uh, from airplanes and uh, uh, that's uh, they, there are street fights and uh, it's not like you know in old uh, European cities with uh, narrow streets uh, like where sniper works no it's street fights with using of tanks uh, so it's a disaster in Mariupol uh, and uh, that shows us what uh, Russia really does the siege of uh, Mariupol is under command of uh, Mizentsev. It's the same person who ruled, who ruled uh, the operation in Syria and uh, destroyed uh, Aleppo. Uh, so they decided, Russia decided that uh, will be a nice strategy to kill uh, as much uh, Russian-speaking people as possible because Mariupol, Kharkiv, Suma, Chernigov is mostly Russian-speaking cities. And uh, that's uh, the liberation looks like in uh, Putin's head. Dimitri, your background, uh, tell our audience and our listeners about your background with Mariupol um, and, you know, your history there and what it was like before I, and after. I lived, there, I lived there for 15 years during my school and uh, university. And uh, uh, then I lived, uh, and I, I lived on the uh, left bank of Mariupol. It's now like famous uh, video that's showing all the TV channels shows, you know, the totally destroyed neighborhood. Uh, there were uh, there is no any military infrastructure and never were, uh, and uh, it's sort of destroyed. Like fifteen years of my past, of my childhood, my uh, like university years, everything is destroyed. All the buildings, my building is totally burned, and I'm telling about nine-story building, two hundred apartments, because it was shot from tanks several times. Uh, all the buildings around are also uh, destroyed and cannot be repaired. And uh, uh, my school is destroyed, university, all the hospitals, and uh, like everybody heard about drama theater, about uh, maternity hospital in Mariupol. But, uh, you know, it's just a catchy example, sketchy buildings, like, oh, maternity hospital. No, every, all the hospitals are destroyed, all of them. And all the, uh, like, a university, the state university, Vyazovsky, and the city is destroyed. Um, almost all the schools are destroyed, and I mean totally destroyed. And uh, we don't have a half of a million people anymore. Uh, we have, they even uh, uh, destroyed, uh, we don't understand the scale now, uh, because there is, uh, it's really hard to move for in the city because of constant shelling. Uh, but uh, they, it uh, looks like they also destroyed the metallurgical plants, uh, and uh, just decided uh, to destroy the half of a million people uh, city during the month. And uh, of course, we will, you know, rebuild the city, but uh, we will have to rebuild it out, out from scratch now. What message do you have to United States, to Europe, about you know w what could be done right now um, to be more helpful to Ukraine and the Ukrainian people? Uh, our, you know, this the the first goal, of course, is to save people from uh, these places of humanitarian catastrophe that Russia made. And first of all, Mariupol, because uh, we clearly see the the Russia wants to start hunger in Mariupol and uh, to use uh, it as a leverage uh, in the diplomatic processes. Uh, and uh, they do now mass deportation, uh, like tens of thousands of people. They move forcibly move them uh, to. Uh, what they say, recreational centers, 
uh, that's really filtration camps uh, where people uh, checked uh, on the, it's very interesting, on the tattoos on their bodies. Uh, like if they have our no tree zoop, the Ukrainian coat of arms, and these people, uh, we don't know where are they. So maybe they're tortured, we just don't know where are they. We leave contact with them. And uh, they, uh, their phones, their documents are taken, and uh, people they force people to sign some kind of paper that they will, uh, will not leave uh, Russia during the next two years. And uh, they just send them to different regions of Russia. You know, they're very classic uh, Russian and Soviet deportation. They did it like a lot of times during the last uh, hundreds of years, 300 of years. It's very common to them. Uh, so uh, the first of all, we need uh, humanitarian corridors. It's our, you know, really first goal. One mad maniac is trying to start a hunger in the middle of Europe. And everybody is saying how you all united with Ukraine how you all uh, with us and helps us and support us. And uh, if, you know, everybody, all the countries united around Ukraine cannot stop a hunger in the middle of Europe, so what can we do? And we're asking, you're saying, if we cannot give you uh, the no-fly zone. That's nice, but uh, our pass give us, uh, make for us a no-fly zone over humanitarian corridors. And uh, we're asking about 1% of your tanks and your, uh, and your planes. 1%. And you're saying, no, it's not possible. Guys, maybe it's not possible, but all of you have to understand that uh, they will not stop. I lived in Moscow for 12 years, and I've seen these people during Putin regime, and they won't stop. And uh, the now your choice is to have this war, to join this war when it will be on our territory, Ukrainian territory, or on your territory. Because all the propagandists of, uh, of Russian propagandists on the central TV channels, they're already like telling almost every evening that Ukraine is only the beginning and uh, we have to you know, enlarge our special operation, as they call it. Uh, so we need weapons. We need uh, not only defensive weapons, we need tanks and we need planes. Mm -hmm. And 1% of it, it's, it's really not so much. And uh, we, first of all, of all we need, uh, you know, uh, clear understanding what's going on and common sense from your side. Because if uh, you will clear understand that it's already World War Three, and it's already started, and uh, now the only uh, question is when to join it, and we have a mad maniac who decided who is just telling some kind of tales about uh, to the to his uh, people, 145 million people that uh, neighboring country does not exist. That's what he's telling on uh, on television. You know what's the difference yeah. between Hitler, who said that Poland uh, doesn't exist, and Putin is saying who, that uh, Ukraine doesn't exist. So if we will have clear understanding what's going on. Uh, everything, all other questions, uh, they will be decided. And uh, we re really need weapons, first of all, to kick them out of Ukraine. So, Dimitri, what, what do you think it is? Because I've heard you echo that same sentiment in a few different interviews where you've said, you know, it's not only our war, it's it's common war, it's, it's World War Three. Do you think the rest of the world is just in denial at this point as to what's actually going on? I think that uh, everybody uh, waits that uh, like sanctions will really work and uh, they will have uh, some kind of revolution inside 
or maybe military cope. Uh, as a person who lived there, I don't believe neither in revolution, neither in military cult. Uh, and uh, uh, I see only as escalation scenario. Uh, from the beginning of this war, I think that they will use a chemical weapon and uh, they are you know, pushing this topic in their propaganda and the TV channel channels. And uh, if they will use chemical weapon, that means they will use nuclear weapon. And uh, I'm, it's just, uh, you know, uh, uh, we, we have to be ready for this because when they will use chemical or nuclear weapon and everybody will say just, oh, it's not possible in modern world. How can it be? You know, and we will have like two weeks more of uh, yeah. deep concerns. Yeah, because it's already, it's, it's, uh, it's not the war anymore. It's mass murdering. Yeah. Everybody have to understand it's mass murdering. Like tens of thousands of people, like more than 160,000 people at least in Mariupol without food and medicine and water, without water. And uh, tens of thousands of people in Mariupol apartments that are, that are killed and we don't even know about it. Because in Mariupol, there, there, there is, no, there is no, not enough uh, bomb shelters. There are only basements under the building. And uh, it's not enough for for three hundred fifty thousand people that we had in Mariupol in the beginning of siege. So they just dropped a bomb, uh, dropped uh, bombs on the residential districts, and people died in these apartments because, like uh, in the uh, in the in the apartments uh, in the uh, yeah, what the word English word. Uh, like in, in one uh, vertical, I'm sorry. Like, the, a, like a condo? Nine, nine or a... Yeah, yeah, yeah. In condo, like in, in one one uh, uh, stairs, uh, like, like from first to nine. nine right, uh, right. Uh, yeah, 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 floor. And uh, there is uh, 45 apartments like in, in this. And uh, at least 10 people, uh, I mean, I mean uh, where my flat, where I lived and where my parents were, at least 10 of people burned alive oh when it was shot by tanks. So we have a lot of people uh, dead in Mariupol and nobody knows because it's not possible. It's like several thousand is just people who were collected on streets. Why Mariupol? Why has that become such a strategic target for the Russians to just indiscriminately bomb and, and commit mass genocide like this? Uh, it's a strategic uh, uh, point for Russian propaganda. They, uh, during several years, uh, they uh, told uh, tales uh, on their television that uh, Azov in Mariupol, it's Nazis. It's, it's really, uh, it's very hard to uh, really discuss uh, this topic because we have Jews in Azov. We have like 40 nationalities in Azov. It's just, uh, you know, the big formation, army formation. And uh, like from the 2014, and it's, <laughs> it's not Nazis, but we have seen that, you know, we have even in maternity hospital, we have even, even there, we have pregnant Nazis, uh, what, what Russia says. And uh, uh, they used uh, in their propaganda heavily uh, that it's a place where there are no army, but neo-Nazis. And so now they are telling that they have a war with neo-Nazis. 
and uh, uh, I, I think uh, because of this. And they put uh, General Mizintsev uh, to rule the separation in the siege of Mariupol, and uh, it's person who uh, destroyed Aleppo. I think it's the only thing that he can do to kill civilians. He's really experienced this in this, as we see. Well, what do you make of the fact of this shifting Russian strategy where now they're kind of downplaying the fact they're saying, oh, we actually never intended to capture Kiev. Uh, the, the entire time we were just trying to focus on taking Donbass. Um, do you think that's just a sign that they're losing and they're trying to say something to the people in Russia? Just show that we're doing something here and not just killing, you know, even their own people. They don't know how to to stop the story. They don't know how to finish uh, the war. They're trying to construct any kind of uh, of the situation that looks like can look like success for the for Russian people. And of course, like in any any war, the uh, people start uh, uniting around the uh, people in power. It's everywhere because people understands everywhere that if you lose a war, that goes bad. And in Russia, all the war wars that they they lose, everything went bad, like revolutions, uh, like copes, uh, anything. They have like. Uh, military rage in their society and uh, they cannot uh, explain what's going on because too many uh, too many dead soldiers too many like 15,000 and uh, uh, it's uh, you know it's real numbers and uh, you have uh, uh, casualties I mean wounded uh, uh, soldiers or three to one to killed and it's around like 50,000 50,000 people uh, from uh, 150,000 uh, military group, and it's a lot, and they are demora- demoralized, and uh, uh, a lot of information already. In Russia. They're trying to block everything. They made this new criminal law about uh, telling something bad about army right. and about uh, state at all, uh, state bodies at all. But uh, of course, information goes. And uh, it spreads, and uh, like in some some cities like Novosibirsk, they already get one thousand coffins, and uh, they never have seen it, never, like in in second or in World War Two, of course, but after never, and even uh, the war in Afghanistan, uh, it was like uh, now it's much bigger than war in Afghanistan, much much bigger than two wars in Chechnya. And in general, of course, they want to stop it. They just don't know how. And Putin understands that uh, he uh, on the position while he while this war uh, is going on, because if he win, that's all. If he lose, that's all. Did you see, uh, you know, U.S. President Biden gave a speech in Warsaw the other day. I was wondering if you had a chance to see any of it. And in the speech, he made a comment uh, off the cuff. He said, for God's sakes, this man cannot remain in power. Speaking about Putin, I was wondering if you agree with that sentiment. No, I'm certainly agree. And, uh, you know, uh, we had USA, uh, it's the most powerful and military and economically country in the world because uh, I think that China is a little bit uh, a bubble. And uh, in, in the real, in real, world, real world, USA is economically the, the most powerful. And uh, we had uh, Saddam, we don't have Saddam. We had Gaddafi, we don't have, have Gaddafi. 
you know, we, we had Osama bin Laden. We don't have Osama bin Laden. That's uh, what America as a world sheriff, let's say so, sometimes, sometimes does. And uh, uh, of course, we see now this movement uh, that we, like all the world clearly understand that what's going on in Kharkiv, Mariupol, Pucha, Erpeng, when uh, Russian troops uh, just really got mad from all of this propaganda and started to kill people for fun. Yeah, they really do. They kill people for fun. And uh, it's war crimes. And uh, uh, Putin, yes, of course, he is a war crime. And uh, of course, we need some kind of tribunal uh, to, because it's, it's not like you can say he's a war crime, let's kill him. Uh, we need a decision of some kind of court that everybody will trust this decision. And uh, well, about, uh, if we're telling about Putin, we have to have this legal decision, he's a war crime, and act accordingly after this, all of us. And if we are telling about uh, Russia and militarization at all, I think we have to uh, be realistic, totally realistic, and to go, uh, to go, like to do to do next steps already, because we made sanctions for Russia, and that's great. Uh, but uh, we have uh, to say very, like I mean, both society and uh, countries that uh, call themselves civilized countries uh, have to say uh, these sanctions are cannot be undone until Putin is a president of Russia. Yep. Will never be undone. And these sanctions, uh, they can never be, uh, you know, canceled over a Russian state. But any territory that will proclaim itself independent will not have these sanctions. That's what we have to say very, very clearly to everybody in Russia. Because uh, they uh, don't really like what's going on. It's super unitary state, state now. And uh, they don't have uh, money uh, on, the, on the lower levels. Because I'm... In Parliament, I'm uh, doing mm, the big reform, the most uh, successful Ukrainian reform of last eight years, is decentralization, uh, because we were uh, not uh, like the, the, like Russia is now. We didn't have uh, any budgets on the, on the level of municipalities and regions. And uh, now we gave, we gave them powers and we gave them finances, first of all. And uh, it's like their budgets are four times uh, uh, more than bigger than uh, eight years ago. And if we also uh, take in, into account uh, the state programs for local self-government, it's six times bigger. Uh, so uh, decentralization is really always successful, and uh, they don't have, they don't uh, cannot uh, in uh, republics and regions of Russia they cannot uh, um, make their own taxes. They cannot, uh, uh, they don't rule the um, like police and uh, prosecutor office, uh, everything. It's all state level, controlled by state. And uh, uh, they don't see money, they don't see uh, rights and powers, they don't say anything. So they want, they want the real federalization of Russia, but I think we have to, uh, to tell already now, not about federalization, but about, you know, disintegration, because uh, until uh, 140, 
five million people in uh, uh, Russia in empire that are not really connected between them, that are not really don't have their own uh, their like common interests. Until all of them are in the one, sta- one state, this state will be militaristic, will have uh, the super president's power. They just go every time. It's just democratization. Come back, democratization, back to super tsarist power, and tsar again, and tsar again. It's empire. Like all the empires in the world, they finished 100 years ago. But this country, no. And uh, it's just uh, 30 years ago, it's just partly disintegrated. And they're trying to come all of this back, uh, to get all of this back. Uh, so I think that uh, we have to uh, tell about uh, uh, about post-Russian world to, to and to discuss, really discuss post-Russian world already to start doing it. What would be your message to the Ukrainian people, the women, men, children, grandparents who are in Ukraine with you every day, uh, in the trenches, literally fighting side by side? What would you want to say to them right now? Me? Mm-hmm. To our people? Yes. It won't be. It, it won't finish in a month, guys. I'm sorry. It will last. You know, this rain is for a long time. And what do you make of the leadership of, of uh, President Zelensky during this time? Did you see this coming? Was this something that you always knew? Oh, Pre- President who... Zelensky, President Zelensky, now he's the best, really best, <laughs> because uh, we have in Ukraine traditionally very bloody politic uh, life, very bloody, and uh, everybody, uh, you know, uh, eating everybody else, uh, like like in um, a little bit like in the Latin America. Like in Southern Europe, uh, Greece, Portugal, uh, all of like Spain, this country. And uh, when the war started, uh, and yeah, and before the war, uh, President uh, were in, uh, uh, in some kind of a weak position because he was hardly, uh, heavily criticized. A lot of people thought that he had a, a lot of mistakes that is easily too easy to understand because he, he never was in a politics before and uh, but 24th of february he's just leader of the country he started doing the only thing that he had to do and uh, uh, now he have uh, unbelievably high ratings like uh, more than uh, he had during election and during election he had 73 and now he had 88 or 85 (laughs) something like this because and it's and it's fair, because Zelensky now is doing what I have to do the president of state in war, and uh, he tells the right words and they make the right decision. And our uh, minister of uh, defense is best, and our head of uh, army uh, army command uh, is really best. We never had a person like this. And our army now is uh, like uh, uh, it became uh, very similar, you know, to Israeli army. Because when we see when we see uh, generals in Russian army, you have seen that their faces. And you, if you didn't, you have to because it's like I can't. I can't. You have to see. I can't explain. Uh, it's uh, 
can explain. Just have to you just have to see their faces, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, in Ukrainian army and they uh, and these generals, you know, they what what we call in Ukraine parket uh, generals. Uh, so the, the generals of peace time, and we have we have already eight years of war because war started in 2014 with annexation of Crimea and uh, war in Donbas. And uh, we have like 440,000 people who were on the front line during these eight years. And uh, we have uh, like uh, uh, 440,000 people uh, who were on the front line uh, on Donbass. Uh, and we have real generals. We have war generals. You know, we have experience. And all our army command, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's new formation. What, what, uh, and all of this is during the last eight years. I really want to see uh, what I, I, you know, I really want to see how the Russia sees they can win. Dimitro Guerin, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. We appreciate your time and appreciate you joining us from Ukraine. We will be right back. Thank you. These. Thank you. Bye-bye, guys. Wow. So there you have it. That was definitely one of the most powerful conversations we've ever had. We are so grateful for Dimitro's time, and we stand firmly with him, the Ukrainian people, today and every day. Thank you so much for listening to this bonus episode of the Midas Touch podcast. As I said earlier, we've got a lot more bonus episodes coming your way. Remember to make sure that you are subscribed to the Midas Touch podcast, tell your friends about the show, and leave us a five-star review. Until next time, this is Brett saying shout out to the Midas Mighty.